It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. Hello everyone, show here. Welcome to the Showtime Movie Podcast. Thank you for listening as always. Before we get to our guest, Quentin Amundsen is going to be joining us shortly to talk about some Oscars. I kind of wanted to add a little more thought on Black Panther. And I know I did a whole episode on Black Panther last week or last episode, but I want to talk about it a little more, just, just very briefly, just for a few minutes, just because... I was thinking about it more. I saw it again, and I really do think it, it was very thought-provoking to me. I know everyone may not like it, certainly. Not everyone's going to like every movie, but I really liked it. I, th- I thought it was fascinating in the, in the ideas it raised. Uh, the, the, for, the, for example, the film had a pretty cool subplot with the kind of African-American-African debate. To the Wakandans, for example, Eric was an outsider, right? He was born and raised in America. To a father, that was... You know, he was royalty, but he was absent from Wakanda. And to Eric, he was one of them, right? He was as put forth by his heritage and, you know, about who his father was. And I've read that many Africans, even some friends of mine, of course, that's an an- a personal anecdote, but I've read also that Africans from the continent itself think slash look down on their American brethren, which adds the idea maybe why Wakanda was so reticent to help their American brothers and sisters that are, you know, in the ghetto of Oakland, for example, and even for why they seem to not entirely care about the events going on in Africa itself, right? It's like they look down on Africa who looked down on America. So I just thought it was a very interesting structure of the haves and have-nots in terms of how Wakanda is like the most advanced nation on earth, right? And another comment that I was thinking of about Eric himself, he actually went down a hero's path, right? His family was taken away from him, murdered unfairly, and he grew up working hard to seek justice, you know, he joins the Marines and is a really, really driven to find out his heritage. And it was the same path T'Challa also went through in Civil War to an extent. But I mean, of course, you know, T'Challa was an adult and and had like a week to do, you know, to do this because his father, he knew his father his whole life. You know, Eric dealt with this as a child and he held on to it like for his whole life. Right. So a grudge like this into a world like Wakanda that you looked up to can really challenge you and what, you, what you're made of. Right. And then, of course, his, you know, his hero's path dissolves and is like. He's a bad guy, right? But I thought I thought that was really interesting in terms of how they set up the idea of Eric. Because you, as the viewer, think he's the bad guy, and he—I mean—he is the quote-unquote bad guy. But there's so much more to him than that. And I, I kind of gushed over Michael B. Jordan's portrayal of Eric in uh, the last episode. But I, I did think this was really cool. And um, I guess I guess for a movie that deals with these two characters that are foils for one another and kind of dark reflections of another, it was kind of disappointing to see it end with this another fight, right? I mean, it was, I guess it was to be expected in a Marvel movie because for all the things that were awesome about it, the issues of race and it tackles the characters being awesome, you know, et cetera. It's, it's still not the superhero movie, right? Just like Winter Soldier was awesome. It was almost like a spy movie, like people say, but at the end of the day, it's just another superhero movie with those elements, right? And I do think this is better, better than pretty much every other Marvel movie now that I've seen it twice. And that and it will show that representation, not will show, it is showing that representation matters to people. But I just couldn't really quite shake a bit of disappointment with that ending, specifically around how they resolve things between Black Panther and, and Killmonger. Right? They just fight, you know, he dies, and then the movie's over, more or less, right? 
And that that I, I just thought maybe there there could have been something cooler there. Although I will say that the way what Eric said about bondage and slavery as his last lines, his last words, uh, I I thought redeemed it a little bit because that kind of spoke to his character. All things I just talked about like earlier earlier in this episode, and of course in uh, last week's episode, right? And last thing, last thing on this, and then we'll move on. But this was easily easily the worst thing about Black Panther for me. The final after credit scene. We sat through minutes of after credit stuff watching an army of people who worked on their film and, you know, they were all great and congratulations to them for sure. But then the after credit scene pops up, what you're waiting for, and all it is is Bucky Barnes walking out of a tent and speaking to Shuri, the younger sister of T'Challa, and everyone in the theater screamed like like they were all orgasming at the same time. And I don't know, I was shocked at that reaction, honestly. I was a little disappointed. I mean, think about it, right? The last time we see Bucky as the audience is at the end of Civil War's after credit scene where you learn that he's been frozen in Wakanda after Iron Man blows his arm off, right? He's there with Captain America, and we see Wakanda for the very first time. We next see him, not in this movie, but in the trailer for Infinity War, which came out a few weeks ago or a few months ago, where he's fighting alongside Captain America in Wakanda, Right? So you see him frozen and obviously healing after he gets his arm friggin' blown off, and then we see and then we see him next fighting in Wakanda. So obviously he's been there the whole time, right? And and then people freak out to see him in this movie, like, yeah, that's where that's where he's been. Right? I mean, use your heads. I don't know. It's just kind of dumb. I mean, if we had seen a bearded Captain America, a bearded Chris Evans, then yeah, that's way more exciting because he's Captain America. But Bucky, he's just a side character at most, and sure, he'll probably become the new Captain America after Thanos murders Cap and Iron Man and probably Hawkeye or someone else in the next two Avengers movies, but still, it just wasn't that cool. I was just disappointed. There was so much more they could have done with that after credit scene, and of course, all the white boys in the audience were like, oh my god, Bucky! Oh, yeah, yeah, Bucky! After we just spent two and a half hours watching a movie about black empowerment, and like, that's the thing they cheered the most for. Not anything in the movie. They cheered the most for this appearance of this kind of side, lame character. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm ripping too hard. Maybe I'm ripping Bucky too hard, but I don't know. It was It was disappointing to see that reaction given that Obviously, he's going to be in Wakanda. Like, come on. Like, he is going to be there. But that's enough on Black Panther. Still one of the best movies of the year, by the way. And we'll move on to our primary topic of conversation this week, the 90th Academy Awards. That's right. No reviews today, just the Oscars, since, of course, it is the highest award a movie can receive. So for today's episode, I have a guest. So instead of making him wait, let's move on to our discussion about the Oscars. The Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... The Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... As I mentioned before, our guest today is Quentin Amundsen, my friend and hockey broadcaster for Legacy Global Sports. Quentin, thank you for joining me. The reason I asked you to come on is so we can talk about the Oscars. comes less than a week, and I think the Oscars are one of my favorite events on TV of the year. Let me review... revise that statement i i think i really like sports obviously and you and i obviously have that in common um but i think outside of sporting events outside of like the super bowl or like the final four or the world series or whatever i think the oscars are my next favorite kind of event and even sometimes it eclipses some of those other things honestly like i think i'd pr- probably prefer to watch the oscars sometimes than like the mls cup final honestly but uh the uh they're coming they're coming and they're, they're i feel like we've been waiting for them for so long we've talked about it for pretty much the whole year and you and i went to tiff together and we got to see the three billboards outside ebbing missouri so i feel like there's a lot to unpack here so uh i wanted to talk a lot about the 
the the not just the main categories, but some of the kind of I don't want to call them lesser categories, but I mean, of course, everyone everyone wants to tune in for the best picture, best director, best actor, actress, so on, so forth. Yeah. But I, I I do want to talk a little bit about you know sound mixing and sound editing and cinematography and that kind of thing. So uh, I don't know what what are some of the more interesting films out there that you feel audiences maybe might not expect to walk home walk away with an Oscar this year? Uh, I think one of the films that uh, is going to get a lot of um, reaction when it doesn't pick up a single award is Lady Bird. And Lady Bird has so much going for it in November. It set the Rotten Tomatoes record at one point for most positive reviews um, and 100% rating before getting a single dissenting opinion. And, of course, the great story of uh, Greta Gerwig, um, you know, a great female actress turned director. And this is, of course, the year of the Me Too movement and women really stepping forward and uh, really taking a big lead in this uh, Oscars derby because you have three billboards, Shape of Water, uh, Lady Bird, The Post, uh, some of these big films in the conversation. And all of them have a leading lady either in front of the camera or behind the camera. But the thing is about uh, Lady Bird, it hasn't won a single award since the Golden sure. Globes. And uh, you just see a lot of um, people starting to rally around um, other films um, such as Get Out or uh, Three Billboards or Shape of Water. And they're going to leave uh, Lady Bird in the dust because uh, some people are just viewing Lady Bird as not uh, a much heft when it comes to the story. They just view it as a nice little slice of life uh, story between a mother and a daughter coming of age, but maybe doesn't stand up to uh, the issues that are being raised in Shape of Water or Three Billboards or some of the other films. So it's unfortunate because this is maybe one of the most critically acclaimed films of the year, but unless there's a shocking upset in Best Supporting Actress with Laurie Metcalf, I just don't see it winning anything. Yeah, it's fair. I I, I was looking at my my picks before we we can't we met up today to talk about the Oscars and I don't think I picked Lady Bird for a single one. I mean, which is kind of sad because it was a really good movie and I almost feel like it deserves recognition. And of course, I, I feel like being nominated for the Oscars is recognition itself because I mean, however how, how many movies come out a year like hundreds, right? And yeah. in the end, a handful of movies get nominated. But I I know that's not necessarily. I mean, obviously, that's not the end goal of any movie. You want to win, right? I mean, like, like in, in a sporting competition or anything else. Like, a lot. What's this f- famous saying? Like, oh, it was an honor just to be nominated. Like, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure people say that, but I don't know how much people actually. It, it. it hurts, I think, when you don't get ca- your name called or you're not even invited to the party. But since Lady Bird has so much momentum, honestly, coming into January, it was the critical darling. Everybody was talking about it as the consensus film. It might not get a lot of number one votes, but in the age of the preferential ballot, it's more about how many number two or number three votes that you get. Because if you're labeled as a film with a lot of passionate fan bases, um, you'll have a lot of number one votes, but you'll have a lot of other people saying, no, we don't like that movie. So they'll um, give maybe a film like Three Billboards eighth or ninth votes. And it's the film that's uh, maybe not loved, but liked across the board that sneaks in. And everybody thought that film would be Lady Bird, but I think it's going to be maybe Get Out has replaced Lady Bird as that film that might sneak in and surprise everybody. I, I almost, not that I'm surprised, because Get Out, and I think we've talked about this before, Get Out I think was one of my favorite movies of 2017. Me too. And it was a yeah, fantastic movie, but I almost feel like I, I, I'm a little shocked, I guess, that 
it has had such staying power in terms of because what it came out in what like March or something like that like March February or April. and yeah, there hasn't been like, a February winner in twenty five years. That's crazy, right? Like that. Like I I I feel like even Dunkirk came out over the summer, and that like the the. The, the kind of steam behind Dunkirk was was all ahead in the summer. I, I remember we were talking about it and everyone was saying, oh man, Dunkirk is like a lock for best picture and lock for best director and cinematography and sound and so on and so forth. And now I feel like Dunkirk would be lucky to walk away with like two Oscars, if if that. You know what I mean? If it can't win at the BAFTAs and it's a British film about a British war, <laughs> it's not going to do well at the Academy Awards. Yeah. And I just BAFTA just killed the chance because... There were some whispers about maybe Dunkirk sneaking in because it's the middle-of-the-road film that nobody's talking about. And sometimes you want to be stealth going into the Academy Awards. You don't want to be in the news too much um, because of all the stories that could come out, like The Shape of Water, apparently all these lawsuits about uh, copyright issues about films. You kind of want to lay low-key, but... Uh, like I said, if it can't win with the British audience, I just don't see the Academy going for it. And uh, going back to Get Out, it is so rare because over the last dozen years, usually the pathway to getting the Academy Award is you premiere at a film festival like TIFF or Venice or Telluride, and you build consensus from there. But I think a lot of the fall uh, release is kind of underwhelmed. And Get Out, it was just so good that it just continued to build momentum. And I mean, they spent so much money on the campaign. I think they spent more money on the campaign than they did the actual film. Oh, man, probably. So <laughs> they were just able to get those screeners out and just stay in people's mind. And they were able to convince people it's not just a genre film. It's something uh, wonderful. It's a horror. It's a comedy. It's a social satire. And it talks about a relevant social issue. And we, we mentioned Get Out, and we've talked about Lady Bird as well. And I, I was looking at some of the nominees earlier today, and I almost feel like perhaps the most stacked category, and, and what I mean is that, by that is perhaps a category where I don't think I would personally be upset by any of the nominees winning is probably uh, the Best Original Screenplay category. Like, like the, 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 the nominees are Three Billboards, Get Out, Big Sick, Lady Bird, and Shape of Water. Like, th- those are probably the five, some of the five best movies that came out this year. I mean, obviously, because it's the Oscars, certainly, but they were, they were like, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I think there, there are clearly favorites, but I wouldn't be shocked nor upset, I think, if any of those were to win. I think it's maybe the best stacked original screenplay lineup maybe ever. Um, like, if you look just back at the history of the Academy Awards. And I'd say other than the big six, which has no chance, I think, I'd say, yeah, the there's definitely going to be a lot of support being thrown uh, across Lady Bird and Shape of Water, Three Billboards and Get Out, because they're all real, really well-written films. They bring um, forth some terrific themes that reflect our uh, current sociopolitical climate. And uh, I think it's really down to maybe Get Out or Three Billboards, but... I don't think there's anything that could stop a surprise happening. Right, on that yeah. Night. Like, I, I wouldn't be shocked, I guess, if, you know, people voted. I mean, we talked about the preferential ballot and stuff, but, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if people voted for uh, Get Out and some people voted for Three Billboards, and because of that, the vote got split and something like um, The Shape of Water or Lady Bird, and it ended up winning, right? And, yeah. and, I, and I don't think I would be upset about that. You know no. what I mean? Like, I, I, I feel like I would be maybe in other categories, but for that one specifically, I mean, I, I personally am picking three billboards to win that category because I don't necessarily think it'll win Best Picture. But at the same time, and I, I know that's not necessarily 
you know, it's not it's not necessarily mutually exclusive, right? It, it, certainly, Three Billboards could win Best Picture and Best uh, Original Screenplay, or certainly The Shape of Water could win Best Picture and, or one of them could win, you know, they split it or whatever, right? Yeah. But but uh, I, I, I kind of feel like this year specifically, whoever wins Best Picture will not win the uh, Original Screenplay. Like, that will be like the, I don't want to say consolation prize because it's an Oscar, right? But yeah. I do feel like that's what's going to happen this year. And uh, that is a bit of a rarity because usually um, the pathway to winning the Oscar is you win uh, Best Picture and Screenplay. And usually um, the winner of the uh, acting and the writing branch, whoever has those two groups behind them, they've been able to topple the movie with a lot of the craft nominations. Like we've seen uh, Spotlight beat The Revenant. Uh, Last year, Moonlight obviously stunned everybody. Like I don't think anything... That could happen this year will match the shock value of what happened oh with gosh. the best picture uh, last year. But uh, 12 Years a Slave a few years ago beat Gravity, which was the, the technical achievement. Right. So uh, I definitely think that this year there could be that split. I like personally, I think it could be a three billboards best picture and a get out best screenplay. That's right. the way I kind of have it in my head. But I think it'd be, it could be swapped the other way around. And uh, do you do you remember just because we were talking about like the craft nominations? Do you remember Grand Budapest Hotel came out in twenty fourteen? What won Best Picture that year? Uh, that was Birdman. That was Birdman. That's right. Okay, that's what it was. Because I, tra- I was trying to remember. Because I feel like Grand Budapest Hotel won like every Academy Award to exist that was not like the directing or acting or Best Picture awards. Yeah. You, you remember like they it won like all the production things, like the the mixing awards, like the editing awards. Like it was a very visually stunning movie. And then like I don't think it. I don't. I don't think. I think Wes Anderson got like. I don't. Maybe he didn't necessarily get snubbed, but he didn't win right in, in the Best Director that year. And yeah. obviously he didn't win Best Picture either. And it seemed to be. So- so set up to win because um, it won the editing award that year. Mm. Um, and uh, usually you need to have an editing nomination if you want to win the Academy Awards. Actually, I think um, Birdman is the only film in the last 35 years to manage to win Best Picture without an editing nomination. That's so interesting. It's really crucial to have it. And uh, Shape of Water and Three Billboards have the editing nomination. Get Out doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And another thing stopping Get Out is... It has only four nominations total. Uh, there hasn't been a film that's won the Best Picture without at least five nominations since 1933, really? Calvacade. Wow. So it's going to have to break <laughs> a little bit of a, a drought there. But all the films have to break droughts. Yeah, yeah. Shape of Water doesn't have the SAG Ensemble Award. No film has been able to win Best Picture without the SAG Ensemble since Braveheart 22 years ago. Ooh, a little bit more recent for... Uh, the big snub for uh, Three Billboards is no directing nomination for Martin McDonough, but right. Argo and Ben Affleck pulled it off five years go. ago. Yeah, it's true. I I almost feel like there's... Okay, we've talked a lot about what may win, may, may not win. I feel like there are, at this point, a week out from the Oscars, there are a few awards that are... I want to call them locks because I feel like they're almost never, like, truly locks in, in, in anything in life, but uh, mm. I feel like the four acting awards barring something crazy happening, have, like, more or less been sewn up by Gary Oldman, Francis McDormand, Sam Rockwell, and Allison Janney. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I think a big theme coming out of this year's Oscar race is I don't think anybody will, will ever be able to say that the Golden Globes don't matter ever again because uh, going into the Golden Globes, uh, it was uh, Willem Dafoe and Laurie Metcalf right. in the lead for the critic prizes, and then... 
uh, Best Actress. It was kind of a three-way race between Ronan, uh, McDormand, and Hawkins. Uh, and Oldman had the lead, but Kaluuya and uh, especially Timothee Chalamet was mm. uh, throwing a wrinkle into it. So, yeah, they were the tastemakers. They just picked these four actors, and they're just winning award after award. And, uh, I mean, they're the... F- it's amazing, and they're uh, four of the similar performances, all showy, all over the top, yeah. and uh, so the Academy's uh, had a history of picking those types of performances, and they're going back to the well again with these four. Is 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 uh, Frances McDormand the only one who has won before? Uh, she is, uh, I mean, other than Miss Meryl Streep, but she doesn't have... Uh, I mean, of the, uh, sorry, of, of, those, the four. of those four, yeah. Uh, yes, uh, and uh, of course, that might hurt her, but some people just believe that she belongs in the pantheon of uh, multiple Oscar winners. And uh, I think if there's an upset happening, it might happen in Best Supporting Actress. And the reason why is um, Oldman and Rockwell are predominantly film actors, mm-hmm. and they have accrued a reputation of being overdue. Um, Jenny and uh, her closest competitor, Laurie Metcalf, they're primarily television actresses. Yeah. So they don't have the big of IOU. Um, I really think that uh, there was a chance for Metcalf to slow down the momentum of Jenny, who's maybe one of the best campaigners on the circuit. Yeah. If Laurie Metcalf would have won, she would have been the 24th performer to earn the triple crown of acting. She has the Tony. She has the Emmy. All she needed was the Oscars. So kind of have to blame the representation for Laurie Metcalf by not getting the word out there. Yeah, um, seriously. Uh, apparently, Jenny's the type of campaigner that she's handing out the peanuts to the Hollywood Florida Press That's Association funny. at events, and she's <laughs> kissing the babies. She's glad handing people, and yeah, yeah, that really does make a difference sometimes. You know, I, I, because I, I believe, I believe Allison Janney has won multiple Emmys. I think, right? She for she's for kind mom. of closing in on the all-time lead. I think, yeah, because she's won for Mom and for The West Wing. I want to say, yeah, I think she's won four for The West Wing and maybe God. three for. Four. I think she won a guest one, so she just uh, produces Emmy wins so seven go- hours. That's yeah. so gaudy. Like, I mean, it's not and not in a bad way. Like, yeah. that's really impressive. Like, I can't even imagine someone winning seven Emmys. Like, that's that just seems excessive. Like, where do you put them all? Like, you know. She <laughs> like a little room like just for all her awards she That's probably crazy. could give some out to her friends at like, this point seriously? she has so many oh my goodness okay well uh what about best director i, I also kind i kind of feel like guillermo del toro more or less has that locked up at this point oh absolutely um he's a beloved artur um he's uh one of those um uh, three amigos um that people have referred to along with alexandro Iranitu and also Alfonso Caron. Mm. I think people would just love to <laughs> give the third member of that uh, troupe the win. And he's just a really charming guy also on the circuit. So, yeah, it's his. Yeah, right? Like, I mean, he. I, I feel like he's one of those rare directors, especially now where you hear about all the kind of misgivings people have about other actors or other directors. I mean, we heard all that stuff about Uma Thurman and Quentin Tarantino yeah. and what, how, you know, he mistreated her and, you know, he's kind of like, he's paying the price for it as he should, but, you know, you never really hear anything like that about Guillermo del Toro, all the actors and actresses who have ever worked with him. You know, Selma Blair had a, a great interview I read uh, recently. I think it was, I think it was with Slate or maybe Vice or something like that. It was one of those websites. And uh, she talked about how generous a director he is and Ron Perlman talked about him and, all these, you know, pretty famous actors and actresses talked about his generosity, and 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 that that uh, you always almost kind of want a, like a feel good kind of story like that because he is so he seems so genuinely nice and kind of nerdy, and you know he and now he's here he is winning for a, a great movie in the Shape of Water. I was so thrilled that when I went to see this movie at TIFF, 
he actually came on stage and did a Q&A um, at the end of the film. He was just so charming, you yeah. know, very likable guy. And he just wanted to create a movie about the universal message of acceptance and really just being opening your heart up to other people. And it's uh, definitely one of the most beloved films of the year. And I'm going to be glad to see him win that one. You know, I, I have to ask, Quentin, is this the year that Roger Deakins wins an Oscar. It better. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, this guy really is the Meryl Streep of cinematographers. Right. <laughs> I mean, or Jack Nicholson, if you want to go that way. And he has been old for so long. And I mean, he did win uh, the American Society of Cinematographers Award and the BAFTA last weekend. And right. usually when you win those two awards together, um, it's a rock solid. I mean, four times... Uh, it hasn't happened in the past, including for Deacons back in 2001 for uh, the man who wasn't there. Mm. Um, but he has so much uh, of an IOU going for him that I just think it uh, might not be denied to him. I mean, there's a small chance, and the only reason is because Blade Runner wasn't a Best Picture nominee. Sure, yeah. And I mean, the, finally, the Academy Award voters are actually going to sit down and watch the films. Because back in January, they just uh, picked films because, oh, I hear this person's great. Or, oh, I'm going to be in this film with per this person, so I want to <laughs> uh, show some love. Uh, but now they're going to sit down and watch the screeners. Maybe Blade Runner is not going to be at the top of the list, unlike Dunkirk or Dunkirk, Shape yeah. of Water, because uh, those films have a host of other important nominations. I, I almost feel like the only movie at this point I feel like that could unseat him would be, would be Dunkirk. Yeah. Um, but... I, I do. Th I do think it's his to lose at this point. I'm just looking at his uh, his uh, cinematography. You know, his fil filmography. I should say here for cinematography, and I, I honestly sometimes forget how awesome it is. Even like you know, I, I'm not even gonna go. I'm not even gonna go back before 2000, right? Let's let's take let's stick at 2000, right? Like we start at, at 2000. You got the uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, The Man Who Wasn't There, A Beautiful Mind, Intolerable cr Cruelty. Uh, you got Jarhead, No Country for Old Men, probably one of the best movies of the of the of the 21st century, probably. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, you got The Assassination of Jesse James. There's Doubt. There's The Reader, Revolutionary Road, A Serious Man, True Grit. He even did Rango. I didn't even actually know that. Um, Skyfall, which I love. Prisoners, Sicario. Now we are Blade Runner. You know, I, it's shocking that he hasn't won one for any of those movies. And I mean, like, he's working with some of the best people. He's worked with uh, Denis Villeneuve yeah. uh, over the past few years. He's like the Coen Brothers go-to guy. That, like, it just is absolutely amazing and baffling how he hasn't been able to do it. And he sometimes lost to that Emmanuel Lubezki, yeah. uh, I think, three times. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, perhaps it's a good thing he's not in the race this year, so he yeah, won't spo spoil it again. So I think this is the year, hopefully. Right, yeah. Because I guess he lost to that guy twice in a row, I think, right? I think for, so. for Gravity and for Birdman, I think, right? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, those, those are also really good. They I, were very it's, good. It's hard to I mean, say there's like other good cinematographers. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah, exactly. Oh, man. I, uh, one, of the things I, one of the things I mentioned and um, kind of related to cinematography when I did my review of Black Panther was that I, I should not even realize until I was finished watching the movie that Rachel Morrison, who did Mudbound, which, which was another pretty interesting movie, mm -hmm. um, did the cinematography for, for Black Panther. And honestly... I think that was some, one of my, I mean, the movie was really good, uh, you know, from top to bottom, I felt. We were talking about it, one of Marvel's better offerings, and that was the movie I did in the last podcast episode. But I kind of feel like 
the cinematography was so was more creative than your average Marvel movie. You know, like I mean, you saw Blade Runner or uh, uh, Black Panther rather. Oh right? yeah, I and, would agree. You know, the the shot where the the, the throne room is upside down as as Killmonger walks into it for the first time, or some of the shots of Wakanda, or you know, their fight on the on the kind of like like sweeping plane almost like oh I don't know a lot of it was really cool and I I'm excited to see what she does going forward. Oh yeah, and uh, it's so great. I mean, it took ninety years, but finally we have a women cinematographer <laughs> uh, nominated. And uh, I mean, uh, looking back at some of the the shots that she got in uh, Mudbound, just to like of actually the the mud itself, and oh, yeah. uh, this just the suffering oh, that these uh, you know these two families had to go through. I mean, if there was a spoiler, I mean, I have a bit of a mind that hoped that she would get it, but uh, I mean. In another year, Deacons yeah, yeah. has to have his turn in the spotlight first. Uh, I feel like another lock for an Oscar this year. And I, I said, I, I remember I said this um, back in, I think, I, I want to say back in like September or November, whenever it, whenever it came out, was Coco. I feel like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the other, I, 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 don't, I don't know off the top of my head all of the other nominees in the Best Animated Picture category, but I feel like it was something like Boss Baby uh. and like, I don't know, some other like Ferdinand, I think, like the John Cena movie. I Loving think. Vincent and you the Breadwinner. Right, and those are the two, right? Yeah. And, and then <laughs> I... I, I admit I have not seen those two you just mentioned. I have seen Ferdinand and Boss Baby, unfortunately for me. Um, That's got to be painful. I didn't. Yeah. I, I spared myself Ooh. from that. Yeah. Maybe the Emoji movie is in there somewhere. I, I forget if that was nominated or not. Hopefully but, for the Razzie. Hopefully it oh wins the gosh, Razzie for best uh, worst so picture bad. instead of the <laughs> best picture. But, yeah, I mean, there was so much uncertainty in the race. I think... We have to almost kind of blame uh, what happened a year ago with the best picture snafu. There's so much uncertainty even going into the last weekend, but everybody knew in September you could put all your money on Coco winning best yep. uh, animated feature. I think it's uh, Pixar's best film since Toy Story 3, at least for me. Yeah, fair. It really um, oh, it just got to me, you know, like some of the emotional scenes at, at the end. Like I. I was on the verge of uh, a couple of waterworks at the end. I'm not afraid to admit that. I think uh, there was a lot of people that kind of had the yeah. similar uh, reaction. It's it's a lock for sure. Okay, so what do you think then that if we're if we're considering Coco as a lock, then where do you think Remember Me is gonna is in a place in the best original song? Because that was something we were talking about before, and and I feel like I feel like it's going to win as well. I and and I feel like like I, the the only other major contender is probably the song from The Greatest Showman. Yeah, um, this is th- me. This is me. Yeah, I was gonna say this is us. Now that's the TV show, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I feel like it's it's those two, but I almost feel like, and, I, and maybe this is not fair to the to the movie or to the to the, uh, the individual award, but I almost feel like the fact that the rest of the Greatest Showman was kind of mediocre and that Coco was such a critically acclaimed movie, and on top of that, that I think the guy, the people who wrote, I think the couple who wrote. Uh, uh, remember me are the are the people who wrote you know the let it go from Frozen yeah and they, Kristen and they, Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez yeah and, yeah. and they, they wrote that song and they wrote um I want to say they wrote some of the songs from Moana as well which were also pretty good and yeah. uh, I almost feel like that kind of helps it as while at the same time the rest of the Greatest Showman kind of drags down that song a little bit and another thing is it sounded like uh, based on an interview that I watched of the Lopez's that. The movie was just based around this song because mm-hmm. the song is throughout the entire movie. I think there's four or five renditions yeah, of yeah. Remember Me throughout the song. 
well, This Is Me, it's an after credit song. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, the one thing that This Is Me has going for it is that apparently it was played for the Olympics for NBC's coverage. That's right, And yeah. the figure skaters did a little medley to the song. So it is in the voters' consciousness while Oscar ballots were um, uh, being filled out. It's being filled out February 20th to 27th. So maybe it hit that sweet spot. That's maybe the only way where I can see it. Trump That's fair. But the fact that Remember Me was so important to the entire plot of Coco and the fact that Coco is an infinitely better movie oh, than uh, The Greatest Showman, uh, I think that it, it ekes it out. But it's going to be tight, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, probably, it's, nev- it's definitely not a lock like we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see this is, this is me winning, but I mean, I would greatly prefer uh, Remember Me. Also because, I mean, the whole idea of Coco... Like one of the major themes, obviously, is is that it's built around music, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 a movie about how music affects different people in their lives, right? Coco and the grand the great grandfather and the great grandmother and Miguel, of course, and you know all the various different characters, Ernesto yeah. de la Cruz, and so on and so forth. And I just find it. It just seems a little more. I mean, of course, the great, the greatest showman is not just about music. Of course, it's a big part of the movie. But I almost feel like the musical aspect of Coco is a little more in- integral to the movie than than to its itself. I should say than way than, more depth. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I guess one thing I should mention in terms of lock categories. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if people were listening to this and want to fill out their ballots, definitely put uh, James Ivory for Best Adapted Screenplay. Call Me by Your Name is yeah. an absolute lock. And interesting, he might hold the record for uh, the oldest Oscar winner. Really? Um, at 89 years old. But he might only hold it for a few minutes because uh, 89-year-old Agnes Varda might win in the best documentary category. Uh-huh. So yeah, funny. it'll be kind of neat for this guy <laughs> who's known as a director for these really prestige projects like um, Remains of the Day or um, Room of the View might finally right. win that award. But, uh, yeah, that's a lock, too. Honestly, when you were like, he might only hold it for a few minutes, I thought you were making, like, a, de- a death joke. Like, he, he might only hold it for a few minutes. <laughs> no, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't want to bring morbidity to the Showtime podcast. Cause, uh, oh, I'm, I'm a fan of it. I don't want to, yeah, add that flavor. But, uh, no, uh, fortunately, it'll just be, yeah, because somebody else might take the record. But, Best documentary is a little bit of a thing, but I haven't really looked too much into that yet. Yeah, honestly, like the best animated feature, best animated short, or sorry, not best animated feature, best animated short, best documentary short, best documentary feature. Not, It's not that I dislike those categories, but I feel like I... Like, short of things like The Salesman from a few years ago, or I think maybe that was last year, but regardless, I feel like short of the ones that are so much in the news for a specific reason... It, it's hard to pick the winners of those categories. Yeah, it's very hard. I mean, like, I'm just picking anim- Dear Basketball for Animated Short because Kobe Bryant made it. Like, right, right. That's the type of reasoning that a lot of people are going to do true. when they pick that. Because, like, I'd say that maybe, I don't know, yeah, the insiders in Los Angeles and New York are being able to see these things. But, yeah, we don't have access to the shorts here in Toronto. Yeah. Okay, I... Uh, I'll, I'll, just a few more questions for you, then we'll wrap up the this part of the podcast. But... Um, best visual effects, I feel like, I, I feel like it's safe to give it to, I mean, you never really know, you never just know, certainly, right? But I, I feel like it's safe to give it to War for the Planet of the Apes. I mean, that, like, just the, the motion capture stuff is pretty unique, but I don't know if you have a different take on that. I disagree. Um, and the reason I do is, um, I, I'd agree. It's the best effects, but it's the only nomination for the film. So, um, like I said kind of before, when people are putting together, um, their votes and are watching the screeners, 
uh, War for the Planet of the Apes might be down at the very bottom of the list because right, right. it only has that one film. Based on merit, I'd like, I'd like to see it, but I did think of the, you know, the great effects and just the overall aesthetic. I think that uh, Blade Runner 2049 yeah, was the most beautiful yeah. film that I saw last year. That's fair. Um, but it would be great. What the they were able to do with motion capture technology with that uh, Planets of the Apes oh, trilogy, man. obviously led by Andy Serkis, it really just opens up more possibilities for uh, these projects down the road. So I, I would like to see War of the Planets of the Apes win, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Blade Runner twenty forty nine. You know, I would. What I would like to see win is Star Wars, but yes. I know I'm. I know I'm biased when I say that, but it's not going to win. It's not going to win. Not gonna win. It's not going to win. It's not going to win any Oscars. No, <laughs> I would like for it to, but it's not going to win. Okay, uh, well, I would like it to be in a Best Picture nominee, yeah, but well, that's, not right. gonna that's, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen either, right? As much as we like that. As much as we like, yeah. Uh, okay, so one of the one of the interesting, and I, I find it hard to separate these categories best sound editing and best sound mixing i know i know like they are obviously separate categories and they they they, they reward separate things which is which is really good but i feel like though if i had to pick a movie that that i and i feel like often not always certainly but often the same movie tends to win those two oscars they right? do yeah and i feel like this year is going to be dunkirk and, I, and the only reason i say that is because i remember when i went to see that movie and, and uh, dunkirk was a pretty striking movie but i feel like a lot of the what really stuck with me after I left the theater was the sound. Like I remember the scene when the the Allied soldiers are in the or the English soldiers are in the um, are in the boat. Like they're in that like kind of beached boat, and the, and the Nazis who we never see are taking like shots at the boat. I think they were just taking pot shots at the boat for fun, and like the bullets like p- like ping through the hull of the ship, and. You know, at the same, then the water starts rushing in, and then there's a scene later on where, like, the boat, like the, I guess it was like a destroyer or something, gets it gets sunk with like people in the mess hall, and the, the the noise of the water and the planes and the explosions and the bullets and everything was so distinct, and you could hear everything and you could differentiate everything, and I almost feel like for me that's what stuck with me after the movie. Mm. Um, I don't I don't know how much of an actual favorite it, it is over something like maybe Baby Driver, but I I do think that it was a like a, I, I feel like that's what what I remember the most, at least. And also, what the, the even the moments of silence on the on the beach when mm, yeah. they when they were just able yeah, to yeah, yeah. wander around and uh, the way that they were able to capture um, the the sound of um, Tom Hardy's plane in the air and like you said the bullets and uh, I thought it was just masterful the way that they were able to balance um, the different sounds when they were balancing the stories of the land, the air, and the sea. So that would be. Um, sound editing, um, I did do a little bit of reading about that actually today to try and figure out the difference. Sound editing's uh, about the film that kind of creates the best sound effects. I mean, that's easily Dunkirk, I yeah. think. Yeah. Sound mixing is kind of finding that balance between music, sound design, and dialogue. And I mean, there's a compelling case to be made for Baby Driver, yeah. the way that they were able to have every single beat of that movie uh, to be in sync with the soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty masterful, but... Uh, like I've been trying to make a case of the other things, the fact that Dunkirk's the best picture nominee and yeah. uh, Baby Driver's not, I don't think that there's an opportunity for them to upset here. Maybe in editing, though, there could be yeah. an upset. I, I feel like the the, uh, the three Oscars of best film editing, best sound editing, and best sound mixing are in some, like, some 
com- compilation going to be between Dunkirk and Baby Driver? Even if all three go to Dunkirk and no go to, none go to Baby Driver, I feel like those are the two movies that will be taking home those three Oscars this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is almost an urge because of the depth of the field that maybe people will want to try and spread the wealth around. Right. But the fact that Dunkirk, there is still a lot of popular support for that film. And I think it's still a film that's capable of generating some number one votes in the Best Picture race. Um, I do think that that they'll find a way to take all three, but it, it's going to be tight. And uh, I, I know, like best best costume design, and I had to I had to actually go look at the the nominees today because I, I, I needed to be sure who was actually nominated in that category. And I know I I've, I know I think we've talked about this actually. I know that. Phantom Thread is seems to be the favorite, but you know, I I almost I feel like a, a, a the soft spot of me wants Beauty and the Beast to win the Disney the, the Disney loving part of me. Oh, what I really love Phantom Thread was like one of my top five films of the year. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't see Beauty and the Beast, so I don't have oh, that Quentin, soft you have to see connection. It. Oh, you have to see it. <laughs> uh, I just uh, I decided to stick with the 1991. I even though I, I liked Emma Watson's Fair. work in Harry Potter, I just wasn't Fair. able to get myself there this year. Um, like Phantom Thread, the, the period costumes, um, and the movie is about the fashion industry. That's true. I mean, that that's, just that seems true. too much to ignore for me. I mean, <laughs> Shape of Water pulled off an upset at um, one of the recent guilds for fashion editing. Right. So maybe that could be the film that kind of lurks in the weeds and wins. But um, Phantom Thread did win at the, the BAFTA, which has more of a diverse voting body. And the fact that that film, it shocked the world and got six nominations. Uh, we th- all thought that the two December films, The Post and uh, uh, Phantom Thread, that it was going to be The Post because of the Tom, Meryl, and Steven factor. But right. th- I thought Phantom Thread was the much superior film, and it's great that it got the nominations, and it's going to get the win here, I think. Okay, cool. Okay, la- last last thing for you before we wrap up. Um, we talked on the way over about who you think will win Best Picture. And, of course, Best Picture is the 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 last award of the night. And today is actually, today specifically, that they were recording this episode is uh, a, year, a year ago today was the Best Picture snafu we all saw and were mesmerized by. So I feel like it's only fitting to end on the Best Picture question, which is simply who do you think is going to win? I know we kind of touched on it, like, briefly as we kind of went around the various categories, but, yeah. you know, who do you think will win and, and why do you think why do you think that will win over its competitors? I think uh, Three Billboards is the movie of the moment. It really just um, is a super politically charged film, and this is a politically charged moment um, in America. I think it really kind of speaks to the the Me Too movement. Uh, a lot of brave women um, uh, this year came forward to speak out against the injustice of men. Three Billboards is about a woman taking uh, charge against the injustice of men. Um, her daughter was raped and then murdered, and she wages a one-woman John Wayne type of war against the uh, law enforcement in her town and the corrupt. I just think that's uh, very appealing. It has the actors' support. It's a movie driven by actors, and the biggest branch of the Academy are the actors. And uh, it's been the movie that has overperformed at the televised award shows. It's the movie that's uh, been the darling of the Golden Globes, uh, the BAFTA, and also the Screen Actors Guild. I mean, it is a divisive film. I'm kind of taking kind of a risk with it um, because it hasn't won uh, at an award show with a uh, preferential ballot. That was Shape of Water at the PGA that pulled that off. Right, right. Um, So there is going to be some hatred for the film, but I'm wondering if it was just maybe the people on film Twitter 
who are kind of maybe bum hurt that their favorite films like Call Me By Your Name and Lady Bird right, aren't right. in the, the race. Actors have found the uh, actors and the entire Academy Award body have been able to vote for films even though the public itself doesn't like it. I think of like Crash. Um, they sure, were able yeah, to make yeah. that happen. Maybe uh, Three Billboards is a comparison to Crash, but I think Three Billboards is an actually good film. Um, <laughs> but uh, I just think that it's just the movie of the moment. I think it'll carry the day even though it's divisive. But I think that anything's possible if Get Out or um, Shape of Water, and I'd be thrilled if any of those two films won too. Yeah, it, it definitely. I think at this point, the the best picture race is definitely down to. I, I honestly, I would even, I would even strike off Get Out off that list. Not that I don't want yeah. it to win. I would love for it to win, but I don't, I don't think it will. I think, I think mm. at this point, it's pretty much like a two horse race between. Uh, three billboards and cha- the shape of water, and I, I, I think I am picking the shape of water. I kind of, I almost feel like I changed my mind a few times because I saw. I mean, you and I saw the bi- three billboards together at TIFF, and um, you know, it won, it won the, the the People's Choice Award, which in the past has been indicative of success at the Oscars. I mean, al- along with all the other awards, it's yeah. won and so on up to this point. But I, I almost feel like the shape of water is going to win because almost like it's 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 a it's a movie of the moment in a way as well, right? You mentioned that Three Billboards is a movie, you know, about, you know, it champions the Me Too movement, has powerful women characters, and I, I feel like uh, Sally uh, Sally Hawkins' character in The Shape of Water, Eliza, is a pretty powerful character in her own right. I agree. Uh, Octavia, Octavia Spencer's character is another powerful character. You know, they, they talk about, like, I, I feel like the movie itself is about championing the differences in people and accepting. I mean, we talked about it when we mentioned Guillermo del Toro winning the um, the Best Director Award, right? And I, and I feel like he he touched on it there, and you mentioned it on the podcast earlier that it's a movie about you know championing and accepting people's differences, which I feel like is also kind of something that's maybe we'd like more of in in the in the climate, the politically charged climate that we but we like live in today. You know what I mean? I I could see that being like just to play devil's advocate, like if one if one view is, you know, we wanna go for the more like active me too kind of moment for three billboards, I could see the, like the reverse being true as well. Absolutely. For the shape of water, right? Yeah. So that's why I wouldn't be I mean, I don't think I would be upset if three billboards won. Like just like last year I thought <laughs> I thought uh um uh, La La Land was going to win, but I wanted Moonlight to win. I want, I wanted it to win, right? And, and I, and I, and even after, even though they announced La La Land, and even though you know we know what happened with that, um, I was kind of like, uh, okay, well, I guess. And then when Moonlight won, I was kind of like, yeah, right, yeah. I don't, I don't really feel like that's going to be a reaction. Like, let's say they announced The Shape of Water this year, and it turns out it's a huge mistake, and then like the wrong envelope was opened again, and it actually was three billboards. Not that I won't care, but I would be okay with that. Yeah, because I think both those films were maybe like some of your favorites of the year. I know you said you really liked Three Billboards when we saw it together. I mean, for me, uh, Three Billboards and Shape of Water are my two favorite films of the year. So it's kind of a win-win for me, (laughs) you know, like I I, and uh, I definitely think that uh, it's going to be neat to see which side wins. Do they want the America that wants to have a feel-good moment with Shape of Water or do they want the film that kind of reflects the angry um, and just the fired-up state uh, that they're in right now. So yeah. that'll be the interesting question that will be answered on Sunday. I am also looking forward to seeing Jimmy Kimmel again. Honestly, yeah. I know a lot of people, like, he. I, I feel like the hosts are, are always, no matter who you get, are always kind of like you either hate them or you love them. Like, no yeah. matter who it is, right? Even, like, I'm sure Bob Hope experienced that to some extent, right? But I, I, I feel like I am actually kind of excited to see Jimmy Kimmel again. 
I think he did a really nice job last year, and he has really um, his stock has seems to have risen with just some of the really passionate monologues that he's um, I've seen of him uh, make right. on a yeah. show over the last year, and uh, yeah. I just think that he is really popular with the room, and I think he'll really. Um, tread that delicate balance with being able to make the really good topical jokes, but he'll also be sensitive to uh, the current climate. I think, um, honestly, what uh, Seth Meyers did at the Golden Globes is maybe a good template, and I think Jimmy Kimmel might go that uh, route as well. Awesome. Well, Quentin, I'm glad you came in to chat with me about movies, about the Oscars. I'm very excited oh, to watch show. them on Thank Sunday. You. Yeah, so uh, we'll have to we'll have to have you on again after the Oscars and we can talk about uh, the winners and losers and maybe next year's awards as well. Sounds fun. Thank you very much. Quentin Edmondson. That is it from me today. Thank you for listening, as always, to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed our Oscar discussion episode. Hopefully my predictions are more right than Quentin's, although he is very knowledgeable about movies, as you may have guessed. So... Whichever one of us comes out on top, well, if it's me, he'll never hear the end of it. And if it's him, well, he's gracious enough that he won't gloat like me. But we'll get back to our movie reviews next week. But for now, you've been listening to the Showtime Movie Podcast. This has been Episode 17. Good night. Rendez-vous, rendez-vous, rendez-vous sûrement au prochain rêve.